All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome. Would y'all stand with us? Was to certain for 
just uh, extend a welcome, say thanks for being with us today. When you came in, you received our connection guide that has a little bit of information about who we are as a church and also a place in there where you can 
uh, ask for some more information about who we are or Jesus and the Christian faith. Um, respond to whatever you hear today through uh, the message of God's word. And there's also a place where um, we ask, uh, how can we pray for you? And I say this every week that I get a chance to do this. There's maybe no greater honor or joy for me than to partner with you in prayer and to intercede with you and whatever's heavy on your heart. A couple of weeks ago, we did uh, the, uh, the angelic visitation of Zechariah, and the angel said to Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. And I might ask you this, over this Christmas holiday, and you're going to go see families, and maybe there's some strained relationship, as probably with anybody when you get extended family together, what are you praying for and hoping um, this Christmas season? If the angel were to show up to you and say, hey, your prayer has been answered, what is that prayer that you're praying? What is the prayer? Maybe it's for lost family members, maybe it's for reconciliation, um, and if you... Uh, if you feel comfortable doing so, I would love to know what you're praying for so that we can partner with you in prayer. Um, and you can write that on the card and put that in the basket at the end of the service. Uh, a couple more things in there I just want to bring your attention to really quickly. Um, one is our covenant uh, reading plan, the scripture reading plan. Um, we're going to start this, starts January 1, but uh, I know a lot of you are leaving out of town. Some have already left. Um, this is two years through the Bible. And um, a lot of people do the one year, that's about four or five chapters a day, sometimes six. This is about a two-chapter-a-day thing. Uh, it's in a little booklet you can put in your, in your Bible, those of you that carry actual paper Bibles. I know that's kind of old school now, but um, uh, we really encourage you. This next year for us, 2019, is going to be a year of the Word, and we're going to really try to do this together, to get in God's Word, to hear from Him, and then to obey what He's leading us to do. And then one more just by way of announcement is our Christmas Eve invite. Um, we got lots of these. Um, most people who uh, don't regularly attend church are open, more open to attending at Christmas Eve than any other time of the year. Um, so maybe there's some neighbors or friends or coworkers or even family members that you might invite to come with you. Um, our Christmas Eve service lasts just under an hour. Um, we'll have a 20, 25 minute uh, message. Our kids are gonna be singing a little um, song and uh, anyway, we're going to, of course, worship together. So um, pick up a few of those on your way out. And then finally, today is our missions offering. We've been talking, planning, praying for this for at least six months. Um, this is one of the biggest things we do all year. And we're going to take this, the proceeds of this, and directly infuse, pour gas on fire of different ministries that's already going on, people that are doing incredible gospel work. And um, we're going to partner with them in that. And our hope is to write them checks before the actual end of the year. So we're going to take this offering up at the end of the service today. As I told you last week, we're we, I want 100% participation, even if that means you're given a dollar uh, or even an I IOU or whatever it is. Uh, we want everybody involved on in some, some level and um, just really encouraged by that. Um, Psalms uh, 63 says that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. I was thinking about that this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life itself. Isn't that crazy? You think about all the things that bring you great joy, that life brings you, right? Laughter of your kids, a great steak, maybe that's on my list. The sunrise over the ocean, gardens in full bloom, um, 
watching your kids develop. I mean, just so many things that bring us great joy. And scripture says the steadfast love of the Lord is better than anything that you could compare to it. It's better than life itself. And so over this Christmas season, I want us to really just kind of own that, that we really believe that as a people, as God's children, that his love is better than life. And because we've been perfectly loved by him, then we can extend peace. As we go into these strained relationships with extended family, and there's, there's a lot of temptation, right, to take the bait and to start conflict and arguments, why don't we as Christians, because we've been perfectly loved and we have nothing to prove to anyone, why don't we take the offense, bear it on ourselves like Christ did for us, and we just extend peace. We just offer words of peace and reconciliation. Isn't that what Jesus says? Blessed are those, um, are the peacekeepers. Uh, one thing, I know this is a little extended, um, but Michael and Lindsay Willis, they're working in kids today, so we're going to pray for them right now. Could y'all come up here real quick as we just extend a prayer over them? They're headed to China in just a few short days. This is our last gathering. Um, they've been on this road to adoption for a really long time, and uh, it is here. Can you even believe that it's finally here and all the things that you probably still have to do between here and leaving? Um, so I wanted to pray for them. If any of uh, their community group want to just kind of come stand up here with them, I'm going to pray for, for them, and then we're going to continue in our service. For those of you who've ever walked with anyone that does international adoption, this is like, uh, this is, you know, forty dollars or $50,000. It's uh, a lot of work, a lot of things, a lot of tears have been cried and prayers have been prayed. So um, we're going to pray for them. Um, then we'll continue. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. It's almost unbelievable to think uh, this, this journey that you put a burden and passion in Lindsay and Michael's heart even a year ago or even before that um, to earn and gain and fundraise all this money to sacrifice personally for a kid they don't even really, really know yet, but yet they do in some way. And uh, Lord, you've done that in their hearts and you have opened doors before them. And Lord, I just pray for their trip. I pray, Father, that, uh, that you would go before them, that you would ready uh, relationships, that you would lead them to people of peace, even on their trip. Lord, that they, would be, that they would see you work just as supernaturally on this trip as they've seen up to this point. Um, Lord, that you would just do this incredible thing. And as they pursue this, what a beautiful picture of adoption that is for us as we were all orphans. And you crossed the greatest chasm of sin um, to give us access back into your family. Jesus, even you said, I didn't, con I didn't call you or consider you to be orphans, but friends. So Lord, I pray for uh, the Willises. I pray for their kiddos during this whole transition. Lord, that you would just be supremely sovereign and that they would see it. Lord, I pray we as your people, your church, their church, that we could partner with them in prayer and help in any way. And I pray for our service today, Father, that... If there's anything that's keeping us from steps of obedience, Father, we would lay those things down in repentance. Turn and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Just stand with us. We've been in a season of Advent leading up to Christmas, and Advent is all about looking forward. It's not actually about looking back. It's about um, what currently is in Christ 
and, and also what is to come as his kingdom comes. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've been challenged by in, in this Advent season has, has just been this question of, do I really believe that Jesus is returning? Like, do I, do I, do I actually believe that Jesus is coming back? And, and if I do, does, does that belief actually shape the way that I live my life? You know, do, do I approach my life with a sense of urgency? Um, I, I heard uh, a, an evangelist talking about the fact that back in the day, the, the, the kind of tactic that a lot of evangelists would use w was to ask, do you know if you died tonight where you would go? Do you know where you would wind up? And I heard, I heard this, this evangelist ask this question like, Let, let's, let's flip that. Do, do you know that if you were to live tomorrow or the next day or next week, or if you knew that you were going to live for the next five years or the next five decades, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ shape the way that you live? Not, not just where you go when you die, how does it shape the way that you live now? Um, so, so this morning we're gonna sing a song called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And, and if, if he really is better than life, and if the kingdom that is coming near in him and ultimately that we will see in, in its fullness through him, if, if that's all true, then shouldn't we like with expectant and celebratory and longing hearts say, come thou long expected Jesus. Shouldn't we say, come now, Emmanuel, heal this broken world, heal our broken lives, heal our sinful hearts, put all of this to death, make all things new, set all things right. Um, is that the longing of your heart? Is that actually the way that you see life and approach life? And this Advent season has, it's just been a reminder to me that oftentimes that's not the way that I approach my day to day. I, I don't approach my day to day as if Jesus could be coming back in five minutes or in two hours. And, and so a question for you to pray through this morning as we're singing, as we're meditating on scripture is, what needs to change in your own heart, in your own, in your own life? What would it look like if you actually lived as if Jesus is coming back because Jesus is coming back, amen? Amen, let's consider that this morning.
kiddos uh, to the back, but they're going with, uh, oh man, with uh, Mr. Brad Crenshaw, and so we'll say a prayer for them very quickly. Man, I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, If you don't know, my name's Jason, I'm one of the pastors here at Covenants, and um, can I pray for us? Uh, dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you for your presence this morning, Father. Even as we're singing together as a family of God this morning, Lord, I sense your presence and uh, it encourages my heart, Lord. And as we um, open your word and uh, look at uh, your words to us, Father, your words to your church, Lord, I ask you to speak to us this morning. There are so many things going on right now with this season in our hearts, um, in our minds, Father. And my prayer for us this morning is that your, your word comes in and just changes things. Uh, that your good news in some miraculous way um, is so real to us this morning. That even in this moment, as we haven't opened your word yet, that you're speaking to hearts right now. So Lord, speak to us. Uh, we love you. Follow Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 2 if you want to turn there. Um, and so, you know, it's Christmas season, and um, I've got three young kids, six, four, and three. And so, you know, we're right in the middle of just, you know, Christmas stuff, and we have 85 grandparents somehow, it seems like, and, and planning all those things out. And, uh, and during the season, you know, uh, I'm a pastor, and so I want the focus to be on Jesus, and we have enough toys, we have enough stuff, and, you know, we do devotions every night, and we, we have our Advent tree that we're pointing to, and we're just kind of pointing this, this thing of waiting for Jesus. And it's this very intentional time, which is great. And then yesterday, um, spent, you know, all day shopping, getting house ready for something, I don't know what yet exactly, just doing all of this just stuff. And um, I found my heart, and I knew I was preaching today, and I found my heart just consumed with, like, this Christmas stuff. And then me and the boys, we go last night to Target, which is a great idea uh, on the 22nd, to um, get uh, Tracy a present from them. I'm a great planner. And, and we're in the car, and um, they're singing Jingle Bells and Rudolph. And I was like, oh, I'm glad Luke's not here. And... and um, you weren't here, Luke kind of hated on Christmas songs last week, but it's okay. But at the same time, my heart's like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? And we get to Target to get my wife, their mother, who birthed them a Christmas present, and all Connor wants is a toy. And I was just like, oh, I was so frustrated. I was just so frustrated. And I get back to the house, and I, he's, he has no idea. And I sit down and talk to them about what this is all about, and he doesn't get it at all. And and then I find myself like thinking about all these things, and my heart and my mind is just off from the reality of this season. But the good news for us is we have the Word of God here, too. I feel like um, 
remind us the greatest hope in the world, that we are so caught up in all of this stuff. And my prayer for us this morning is that the word of God, and even this story that we're going to read from, um, becomes just real to us this morning. So let's go to Luke 2, uh, verse 8. And um, we're on to the shepherds, uh, which is so interesting in so many ways. So in 1 through 7, and this, if, you, if you have seen Charlie Brown Christmas, you have heard this passage before from our friend Linus. And Jesus was just born, like literally in verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So the author here, Luke, is telling us Jesus was just born. And then in verse 8, let's just read this whole passage together. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had, seen, all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So we see here Jesus is born, and there's the few just right down the road apparently. There's these shepherds keeping watch over their flock at night. And these shepherds probably camped out in this field watching their flock. And so we think of shepherds. So uh, my son Connor, the evil one that was uh, being a brat last night, um, I'm just kidding, he's great, uh, was in a Christmas play uh, this year, and he was a shepherd. And um, he was the most beautiful, cutest shepherd in the world. And so in my head, when I hear shepherd, I think of cute, sweet little shepherds, right? They play with sheep. I mean, that's got to be great, right? Like there's just these soft, nice, good men. But here's the truth. Um... First century Jews did not like shepherds and believed God did not like them either. Shepherds were not trusted. They were the lowest of the low. They were the outcasts. They were seen as unclean, filthy, unwanted. They were outside of God's favor in the minds of these people. An Alexandria philosopher says this, There is no more disreputable an occupation than that of a shepherd. That's harsh, right? Like this is the worst thing you could do is be a shepherd. They were so like untrusted that you, they couldn't be witnesses if something went wrong. So um, a few months ago, Weston was telling me a story. Um, a, a local church leader in our town um, was overseas churches got a phone call about a small little church that needed an interim pastor. And so he went and there was this guy who just showed up. And said, hey, I, I have experience being a pastor. I love to fill in for you guys. And this is a small little church. They just hired him. 
say, yeah, come preach for us, be our inner room, come on in, it's great. And so uh, this guy went and heard him preach, kind of check on him, and his sermon was just very strange, like it was kind of vague, not really in scripture, and so he starts investigating, and he asked him, okay, well, where are you from, and it's still really vague, and so he basically hires like a PI to check on this guy, and this pastor is a con artist that has gone to this church to try and steal their money. So he lost his job, very sadly, and so they fired this guy, and of course, you think of this man, this con artist, right? Like this is the, he goes to a church full of sweet like old people and takes advantage of them, is preaching some false gospel, stealing their money. To me, that is the lowest of the low. He would never for me be a witness for me. He is an outcast. I want nothing to do with him. And think about this real quickly. This is who the good news was announced to first. Was an outcast just like this. Was a traitor just like this. Someone we don't not respect at all. I got to imagine that the first century Jews are reading Luke's account. They're reading this story and we see Jesus is born with animals. And like, well, this can't be right. And they keep going and they say, wait, there were she- the shepherds were told first. And they just could not believe this. Why would God do things this way? Why would God send this news to these dirty, lowly shepherds? And here's why. Jesus' ministry, as we know, was for the low, was for the poor, was for the forgotten, for the outcast, was for the sick. Let's go to Luke 4. It's on the screen, I believe. This is Jesus going back to his hometown in a sense to preach his first sermon. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Which brings to our first point. Jesus' coming was good news of great joy for all people. But especially for the needy and the forgotten. Jesus came to save the sick. You were never too bad for God. Hear this. If you feel far away from God, you are never too bad for God. But also hear this. You are never good enough for God. Both things are true. The message of Christmas is not get your house tidy, get the food right, pretend that you and your family are like the Waltons, then God will bless you. The message of Christmas is God knows you. He sees you. He sees how needy you are, even if you don't know it, and he came to rescue you. That is the message of Christmas. But this is hard for us. In Matthew 19, we see in Jesus' ministry, he says this a lot. So this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how can I be saved? And he says to him, sell all your stuff and come follow me. And this rich young ruler walks away very sad. He cannot do it. And then he says this. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, 
Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Most of us in this room, we are not forgotten. We're not that needy. We're not poor by the world standards. Most of us in this room, we have our stuff together. In the West, in America, we have a great system and we are blessed greatly. But we have to understand that our position, our blessings can sometimes be a curse. Because the blessings of our life, they do make it difficult for us to see ourselves as needy and as outcast. This is really true for our kids, right? We grow up and we want to give our kids everything, right? We want to just bring joy and blessings to their life. But here's the truth. If they never need anything, they'll never know they're needy and in need of a Savior. Does that make sense? And so we have to understand that the blessings of our life, if they are not handled correctly, they become a curse for us. Because we believe we're self-sufficient, we're not needy, and we're not outcast. So, if Jesus came for the needy, for the hopeless, for the sick, but we are, we are not in that sphere, right? We all have homes, we have retirements, we have savings, we have all these things. So what do we do? How do we go about this? How do we respond to his coming if he came especially for the poor, the needy, the outcast? Look at verse 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. Matt Chandler said this. I love this right here. The best way to translate that word glory is weight. In that field, the weight of God showed up. It's a kind of weight that is heavier than anything else. When the glory of God shows up, it reshapes and it reorders. It pushes out and it breaks free. There is nothing as weighty as this in the universe. When the glory of God shows up, it changes everything. When you get a glimpse of the God of Christmas, things happen. This is a pattern. When the glory of the presence of God shows up in Scripture, people are filled with fear. Look at Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Can you imagine this? It's a nice mountain. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Come on, Peter. Like, he is just so obvious, isn't he? Like a little suck up. He's just the worst. He was still speaking when behold, a bright, this shut Peter up right here. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Moses, Exodus 3, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at the burning bush, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, "Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. You have shepherds, you have Peter and James and John, you have Moses. Here's the deal. The glory of God levels the playing field. The glory of God completely levels the playing field. Whether you're the Amazon CEO or you're homeless, when the glory of God shows up, we are all on the same playing field. So um, another way to look at this. So I played basketball back in the day, and um, I went to Calvary Academy. Not the Calvary you know now. It's a small little puny Calvary. We had 15 kids in my graduating class in the eighth grade. And I played basketball, um, private school, white boy league, let's just be honest here. And um, I thought I was pretty good. You know, I could, I could score on these guys. They were small. They were soft. And, I, you know, I was doing pretty good eighth grade. And I graduated, went to ninth grade, went to Southwood High School. Little different game there. And I show up, and I can play here. And then I, and I start playing. And um, I can do nothing at all because um, we all measure ourselves <laughs> against different things, different people, right? So if I play against Hayes and Connor in basketball, I am phenomenal. I am great. If I play against LeBron James, LeBron's going to probably dunk on me a lot, right? That's just what's going to happen. And so, but here's the deal. When the glory of God shows up, we are all Hayes and Connor playing basketball. There is not one, like, really good person. We are all completely needy in light of that God. Here's what's crazy. The angels, in all these texts, you see this idea of fear not. So we have on one hand, like, they're in this field. They're just, like, keeping watch over their flock at night. Normal night, normal thing, and then the eternal breaks in. The supernatural breaks. Can you imagine, like if you're driving tonight, and there's like some open field, and angels just show up, and at first it's just one angel, right? It's just one. Then in verse 13 it says, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. They're just regular, outcast, no one likes you, shepherds. And then the glory of God shows up. You know, whenever we encounter anything about the Grand Canyon, or if you think about, like, if, you, if there was, like, a lion right here, right? A lion right here. We'd all, like, be freaking out. We'd be completely afraid of the power of this thing. That is the correct response to an eternal, creative, powerful God, holy God. We should bow and fear and worship. But what did they say? What does he always say? He says, fear not. Because the glory of this Lord that we, ought, we fear was also the same God who was a baby just a few ways away. That came near to us. This is the amazing thing about God. That no matter how great you feel, in light of a glory-filled, holy God, you're brought to your knees. But how, no matter how far away and unworthy you feel, there is this beautiful, near, humble, Savior, boy, King. That's the same God, and that is the God that we worship. But here's the problem for us. They say, fear not, we have brought good news of great joy. But here's the problem. Because we feel like we don't need anything, including God, 
this is not good news of great joy to us. The title of this series is A Holy Interruption. But many times, it's just for us just an interruption. The things of God are just an interruption. And it's because we have this illusion that is based only in this world, in this life, that we have everything that we need and that we are good. But also, we worship this gospel we have has been reduced to a gospel of means. That the gospel gets me salvation. It gets me into heaven. The gospel, it gets me a better life. The gospel, it gets me this status. We're not ever truly brought low. We're not ever made to be as needy worshipers because we have it all figured out by ourselves. But and Christmas truly reveals this. In our Christmas traditions, many times there's no awe, there's no worship, there's no um, sense of reverence for the fact that Jesus came and we're longing for him to come again. He's become like this add-on to our schedule, to the things that we do, not the center, not the focus, because we don't see this holy, powerful creator God. We have this really small God that sometimes gets me what I want. And we're left wanting. Our response to the gospel many times is indifference. We sing this great song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And my prayer this week, my fear for myself and for us is that this longing is not there for two reasons. We don't need anything and we don't see God as he truly is. There is no fear, no reverence, no awe for us. And so we're not longing for anything except for our superficial wants and desires. And this is true, you know this is true in your life. You will get these things, right? And then you long for other things. My prayer for us is that we long for the thing that can truly satisfy us. So our response many times is indifference to the things of God, busyness, fear, whatever it might be. Look at verse 15, look at, look at their response. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. What you see here is they respond to this good news with haste. Because they were outcasts and they were brought in, this is really good news to them. They respond with excitement, with haste, and they go and they tell them what God just did. And I want you for a minute just think about this. Mary has this newborn God. And these shepherds come. You ever been in a hospital or even at your house with a newborn? People come by. Like, just leave the food at the door. I'm good. Leave the food at the door. And I imagine the shepherds, so the outcasts come in. And Mary's holding God for just for a minute. And somehow God uses these shepherds, these outcasts, to encourage the mother of God. And that just kind of blew me away because here's the truth. God uses the unusable. 
and we see it here, we see it all throughout Scripture. Look at Acts 4 for a minute. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. Listen, the mark of followers of Jesus is um, not status, is not your money, is, is not these things that we tend to kind of hold up as the blessings of a person who follows God. The marks of a follower of Jesus really are the fruits of the Spirit and just this extreme boldness and excitement to share what the rescuer has done. Because the proper order, there's a holy God, we're a needy person. This holy God rescues us in our neediness and makes us in relationship with him. When that actually happens, a follower of Jesus lives their life differently. They have something to be excited about. They share this news because God uses the unusable. So how do we respond to this? So we, we read the story of these outcast shepherds who were told the good news thousands of years ago. And so Luke put this in here, but what does it actually mean for us? And as I prayed this week, and, and here's kind of my heart for us, to ask these two questions. First, have I put my faith in the right gospel? Have you put your faith in the right gospel? The gospel that says you are low, that says you're needy, that says you're an outcast, and you are completely incapable of doing anything to save yourself or make yourself clean. That you in this room, you are completely and utterly hopeless. That if we were to see your sins in little bubbles right now, you truly are, right? You are incapable of doing anything to make yourself right. And in this, in this gospel, we encounter a perfect, holy, powerful, eternal, supernatural God. That if you were to see today, right here, we'd all be on our knees in fear at what this God could do to us. This gospel says, that, says, fear not, that even though you are sick, you're an outcast, you are hopeless, I came near, and I put on flesh, and I was crucified, and I rose again to make you mine. Is that the gospel that you have put your faith in? Or is the gospel to you something else? That you got your stuff figured out, but you don't want to go to hell, so you're going to say yes to this and try to cuss less. What gospel are you believing today? Second question. Are you living in light of that gospel? Have you left the gospel for something deeper? Have you left that gospel to be on your own and be more mature in the faith? Paul says this in Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. As followers of Jesus, we never stop being needy. The mark of a Christian life is a mark of neediness, of repentance, over and over and over again. That we never have arrived in our faith. We are constantly depending on our Savior to make us right. Here's how you can tell if you're living a lie of that gospel. Where's the fruit in your life? Where's the fruit? We have the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. 
Are, are those fruits evident in your life? And, and to me, the biggest marker, are you quick to share about your rescuer? If your faith is truly in this right here, how could you not be quick to share this good news? How could you not? And we think about Christmas time, and here's the truth. All of us in this room are going to be around lost people in the next three days. Every person in this room is going to be around some kind of lost cousin, uncle, who knows what it's going to be like, right? And God has placed us there. God has rescued you for a reason. He uses you for these times right now, that you can live your life in a different way. Your family can see, hear a different story. Like this weekend, that news can be quick to them, can be good to them. And sometimes, um, this is true for me, it's hard to believe that God still changes us, that God still saves hard-hearted people. And I just finished this book, you know, probably a month ago, um, called The Gospel Comes to the House Key. I talk about it a lot. I apologize. Um, it's written by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. And um, she was raised um, as an atheist by her parents. And she was raised that way uh, as she became a young adult. She thought Christians were completely crazy, outside their mind, all those things, right? And then uh, she met a family who showed her great love, great hospitality, and brought them in. And she began to follow and accept Jesus as her Savior. And, um, but her mother was still completely hard-hearted, completely uh, against the things of God, and thought she was just crazy, thought she was very crazy. And so uh, Rosaria would pray for her, would be, try to share the good news with her, and she was always just shutting her down. And then one Christmas, uh, Christmas, Christmas Day, 2015, she told them, her mom told her family that she had lung cancer. And she said, I have lung cancer, but I want to die the way I want to die. I don't want your Jesus. I don't want your stuff. Just leave me alone. And so you got to imagine, Rosario said that uh, she just um, was filled with great fear. That her mom was not, not just like not a believer, she was against God. And so she was so far away, and there was just no hope. And then uh, Rosaria got sick, had the flu, and had to go to her doctor. And her and her mom shared the same doctor. And her mom said, I should not tell you this, um, but your mom has removed you as emergency contact. She don't want you anywhere around. And also, your mom's not taking care of herself. Like, you need to do something. She's going to hurt herself, do something. And so her mom leaves and calls uh, her retirement home right away, check on her mom. And they tell her, well, your mom just called an ambulance to go to the hospital. She's like, okay. So they look all over town. They finally find the hospital she's staying at. And she's about to walk into her mom's room. And she stops. And she remembers the words her mom said, leave me alone. I want to die the way I want to die. And I don't want your Jesus. And she stands in front of that door and she prays. Says, dear God, just make this happen. She walks in and her mom lights up with joy at seeing her daughter. But she says, listen, I still don't want your Jesus. But I'm glad to see you. They talk to the doctor. The doctor says, she has days, maybe weeks to live. And so Rosaria, at her, at, her, at her mom's deathbed, right, just loving on her, praying for her, singing the psalms to her mother. And I'm going to read the rest right here because it's just really good. 
as she's singing from Psalms 23, Mom put up her hand and gestured for me to stop and come close. I'm dying. I'm becoming weak, not strong. How is my soul being made strong? And that is how my world changed in the most powerful, just thought that I've ever experienced, making my own conversion seem sort of pale and soft around the edges. Mom, your soul bears God's image, and it will last forever, even as your body wastes away. I whisper. My hands are shaking. I can barely get the words out. Her mom says, you really believe this crap? (laughs) She says, with all of my heart. I whisper, maybe I'm becoming weak like you. Mom muses, if if I'm getting to be soft like you, why don't I understand? She thinks out loud. Mom, I think you understand the gospel. But because you don't know the shepherd, it seems like nonsense to you. I offer, maybe you're right. So tell me about him. Tell me about the shepherd. But keep singing, please. So I sing the rest of Psalm 23. Something changed in the heavens. In the secret council of the Trinity, one more lost sheep was gathered in the protective arms of her Savior. The stars became brighter. The cosmos shifted. My mom opened her eyes with clarity and said, well, that settles it then. I am now weak. I am weak like you. I do need the shepherd. Now what? Would you like to hear about how to make peace with Jesus? Yes. But first, I want to know what I need to do with my sin. And please, don't call in a priest. And with that, everything changed on earth and in heaven. My mother wanted me to sing the Psalms until I could not sing them anymore. She wanted Kent to read the Bible and pray and answer all of her questions. My mother, the former atheist, put her faith in Jesus, repented of her sin, and made peace with God two days before she died. God is so merciful to me, a sinner. God still saves really hard people. Don't be on your deathbed to become a needy person. God came for the needy, but he also says, fear not, because I have good news of great joy. So my prayer today in this room, there could be her mother that's hard-hearted, far away from God, has never said that I am weak and I am needy. And my prayer for you this morning is to confess that you are needy and you are hopeless and to come to the great shepherd, which is Jesus. Now, others in this room, we are called to be that faithful servant to our people, to love and to pray and proclaim over and over all the way to the deathbed, to persevere and to not give up with this good news that has been shown to us. That's my prayer for us this morning. And we're going to take communion here in a moment. This is the meal for the hopeless, for the outcast, for the needy. It's this beautiful picture that he came near and he could say, fear not. This is the good news of great joy that my body and my blood was shed for you, the rebellious outcast. And now you're brought near and we dine with the Savior as the family of God. But don't come to this meal with your stuff together. Don't come here as a non-needy person. Come saying, I need a Savior. I need the body. I need the blood shed for me so that I can be made right, be made whole, and have great hope. That's the prayer for us at the church this morning. Not traditions, not weather songs, none of those things. The greatest hope, the greatest news in the world. It's great news for joy for us. And my prayer today is that we don't move past this moment, this God, and go right to our stuff our traditions, and our smaller things. So as I pray, I am praying for your heart 
that you will see yourself as who you truly are in front of a holy God, which is nothing. It's nothing. And you'll come to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us. Um, You have um, come near to us uh, through Jesus. And Lord, we confess that um, we have been foolish and arrogant and hard-hearted. Lord, will you pierce hearts this morning? Will you soften hard hearts this morning? Let us confess our need for you. And let us respond with obedience and worship of you. We love you. It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you're new here, um, you'll be a member of our church to uh, take communion, but you have to be a follower of Jesus. So um, come as you're ready. If you want to pray with someone, I'll be in the back. You can pray with me. I'll let pray with you. Just come when you're ready. Oh.